Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of Charts at Billboard, and I'm coming to you all the way from London this week. So if our show sounds a little different than usual, we're going to blame the bi-continental aspect of our recording devices. Uh, Joining me back in Los Angeles, however, is Billboard.com senior editor, Katie Atkinson. Hello, Katie. How's Los Angeles? Hi, Keith. Los Angeles is doing very well, although it misses you. But uh, we, uh, you know, had the had the Golden Globes here in sunny L.A. on Sunday night. And so it's been a lot of activity around this way. Did you get to cover the Globes in any sort of capacity? Yes, from the comfort of my couch, I did cover the Globes. Um, just, you know, writing up Meryl Streep's exceptional speech and things of that nature. Uh, Noted recording artist, Meryl Streep, indeed. I believe she's (laughs) actually been... I think a Grammy Award may be one of the few awards that she hasn't won yet, but um, I think she's been nominated for a Grammy, and I know she's charted on the Hot 100, I think, maybe, in fact. So um, she's in in our world of music coverage, even though she's, uh, she's, you know, an actress. (laughs) Um, Anyway, um, well, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the week's big pop news, fun chart stats and stories, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. This week on our first show of 2017, we've got an interview with James Vincent McMorrow. The Irish singer-songwriter is still a relative newcomer, but he got a lot of buzz late last year for his new album, We Move, And his vocals also appeared on Drake's Fuse album. So stick around and get to know a bit more about him later on in the show. Plus, we've got Chart Chat! There's a new number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Plus, Adele gets another top 40 hit on the Hot 100. Over on the Billboard 200, there's a sort of new number one. Soundtracks have taken over the top 10. And... We've got brand new music from Ed Sheeran to talk about. Where might his two new singles end up on the charts next week? Well, we'll be talking about that and more on this week's show. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes so you won't miss an episode and give us a rating or review while you're at it. If you have any questions for us, feel free to tweet us at Keith underscore Caulfield or KT Atkinson. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard or even Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. Um, so welcome back, everyone, to 2017, our first show of the year. Super excited to be back and uh, super excited to just dive right into the charts. Big news on the Hot 100 as we have a brand new number one, Bad and Bougie, from Migos featuring Little Uzi Vert. The song climbs from number two to number one in its eighth week on the list, bumping Black Beatles by Ray Shrimmer featuring Gucci Mane out of the top slot down to number two. Now, notably, Bad and Bougie gets to number one by actually declining in overall chart points for the week. Um, Though it was actually up in airplay and streams, it had a big decrease in sales as most songs actually did this past week because that's what happens on the chart in like the week after christmas um katie i hear since you happened to cover the golden globes last night 
I hear that Bad and Bougie got a big shout out on the show. What happened on the show with Bad and Bougie? Yeah, it did. Maybe it'll get that uh, that Golden Globes bump after Sunday night uh, because Donald Glover, when his show uh, Atlanta, which is uh, an FX show, when it won for uh, best show at the Golden Globes, all of a sudden, <laughs> Donald Glover decided to take his moment and thank uh, the Migos, as he called them, uh, not for being in the show, but for making Bad and Bougie. Like, that's the best song ever, is what he said in his speech, um, which is kind of an incredible shout out. And Twitter, of course, picked up and ran with it and uh, decided that like every white person in America was Googling Bad and Bougie at that exact moment. So, of course, <laughs> um, pretty, <Yeah. laughs> pretty amazing Pretty amazing shout out from Donald Glover. And I, it was funny, we were talking about it earlier today within the charts department about how like that could actually help, you know, the song on the charts next week after people, you know, react to the song and people react to the shout out. So we'll see how that plays out this week on the chart. Um, and you'll have to tune in next Monday and Tuesday to see how it actually, you know, made a difference, if it made any difference at all. Um, elsewhere on the Hot 100... Adele scores her 10th top 40 hit as Water Under the Bridge steps 44 to 38. It's the fourth single from her 25 album, and all four of them have now reached the top 40. Her last single, Send My Love to Your New Lover, peaked at number 8 last September. Now, you know who will likely be joining Adele and Migos in the top 40 next week? Ed Sheeran! Um, Katie, tell us all about how Ed dropped not one, but two new songs last Friday. Yeah, he had quite the, uh, the buildup for it. You know, he's been off social media for a year. His last album came out two years ago and he started teasing new music, um, early last week and, and fans knew they were going to get at least one song on uh, Friday, early Friday, but I don't think that anyone had any idea they were going to get two new Ed songs. Um, we have the first one, which is called Shape of You, which is a little bit more of like a hip-hop kind of beat, a little of the rappy Ed that you know and love, and then Castle on the Hill, which is a little more of the kind of sweet, folky Ed. And um, what struck me about the two songs was that, you know, he kind of has like two different sides that have both served him very well. And it's like he gave these two singles to make sure that, you know, the people who love sing or don't, you'll love shape of you. And if you love thinking out loud and the a team and the sweeter ad, then you'll love castle on the hill. So he kind of like served everybody at one time with these two songs. It's interesting. I, you know, that's a good way of putting it because, you know, you think of artists like, you know, Beyonce or Rihanna who have, you know, kind of two, you know, kind of two different flavors, so to speak, sometimes where you have a very sort of, you know, maybe a dancey top 40 audience, or you may have a very urban audience, like an R&B audience. And, you know, with Rihanna specifically, like her last album, she had kind of like club banger hits. I mean, she's kind of done this her entire career, but she'll have like club bangers on the one hand, and then she has like big torchy R&B moments on the other. And Ed is kind of in the same way, not in sort of the R&B vein necessarily, but he'll have the singer-songwriter thing on one end, and then, as you said, kind of the kind of hippity-hoppity, <laughs> well, you didn't say hippity-hoppity, um, but the, sort of the hip-hop Ed on the other end. So I've, it's kind of a smart way to kind of reintroduce oneself and to kind of, you know, give, you know, all of your audiences a little bit of something to kind of tide them over until more music 
can be heard. Um, it is it is kind of interesting that he decided to drop two songs at the same time. So we'll see how that actually, you know, pans out next week on the charts. Um, it's a little bit early to kind of figure out where the songs might end up on the Hot 100 next week. The song um, the songs are already starting to impact some of our charts, but because of when they came out, because they came out last Friday, we won't actually see them impact the Hot 100 until next week um, because the tracking week uh, runs until Thursday for streams and for sales. And so it it didn't have any streams or sales for this week's chart, but that's why we're going to see it all happen for next week. So come back next week and we'll see where Ed Sheeran ends up on the chart. I'm guessing it's going to be a pretty high debut. Um, top 10 is completely likely, could be even higher. Stay tuned to Billboard.com for all of our forecast stories, as we will likely have throughout the week. Um, let's move on and talk about the Billboard 200 charts. Um, after two weeks where Pentatonix's A Pentatonix Christmas ruled the chart, the holidays are officially totally over with because Pentatonix falls from number one to number 41. That's the second biggest fall ever from number one behind only a fall that occurred last year when Bon Jovi's This House Is Not For Sale tumbled from number one to number 43. I know, right? Um, back on the new Billboard 200 chart, The Weeknd's Starboy returns to number one as it rises from number two to number one and collects its second week atop the list. Now, with not a single debut in the top 40 of the Billboard 200 chart this week, the most exciting news is how we have four soundtracks inside the top 10 at the same time. Now, that's the first time that's happened in more than 18 years. Uh, this week on the chart, the Moana soundtrack climbs six to two, while the soundtracks to Sing, Suicide Squad, and Trolls rank at numbers 8, 9, and 10, respectively. The last time we had four soundtracks in the top 10 was way back in September of 1998, when Armageddon, Dr. Doolittle, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, and City of Angels all ranked in the region. And, you know, back to the Golden Globes yet again, I see there's another soundtrack that's waiting in the wings and, and could possibly jump into the top 10. Because La La Land, which 100% dominated the Globes on Sunday night, won seven awards, which is a record number of Globes for a single film to win. And it could see its soundtrack jump up the list next week. Um, and on the latest chart, it actually goes from number 52 all the way to number 15. So top 10 seems ultra likely after all the buzz it got from the Globes. Yeah, yeah totally. And... Crazily enough, that that jump from 52 to 15 on the chart this week was before it won all the Golden Globes because the tracking week for the Billboard 200 ended last Thursday. So if there's a lot of reaction from the Globes and, you know, it'll positively impact La La Land, we'll see that happen on next week's chart. Could it go top 10? Certainly. Could it go even higher? Uh, you know, top five? Woo, I don't know. You know, stay tuned again to billboard.com and we will have forecast stories throughout the week as we normally do. And uh, who knows? You know, we've seen a lot of soundtracks in January profit from, you know, b uh, Oscar buzz and, and, you know, movies that are out in theaters around Christmas time that have a lot, have a lot of music in them that get a lot of shine on the charts. So, could La La Land go top five? I don't know, uh, but that's the beauty of the charts. We'll find out in the next few days. Um, so I think that's probably enough chart chat for this week. Um, 
because I think it's now time for our guest interview with James Vincent McMorrow. Yes, I actually think it's very appropriate that we were just talking about these new Ed Sheeran songs because I think the Sheerios would really love James Vincent McMorrow. He came into the L.A. office last month to talk about his latest album, We Move, and its latest single, Get Low. Um, We also talked about whether Lil Jon might ever do a crunk remix of the song given his track with the same name. Um, He liked that idea. We'll see. Um, But he also has that kind of folky slash hip-hop-y vibe that that Ed has. So um, definitely check out his music after listening to this interview. We also chatted about how his vocals ended up on Drake's Views album. Um, his Wicked Game cover that was featured in a Game of Thrones trailer last year, and what's next for the Irish singer-songwriter. So here is our interview with James Vincent McMorrow. Hello to James Vincent McMorrow, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for coming in today. No problem at all. And we're talking in the uh, Billboard LA office right now, yeah. and you just had a show last night at the Wiltern. Yeah. How did it go? Yeah, it went really good. Um, that place is like a dream venue to play. Absolutely. Um, it was actually funny. I was at a party afterwards, and a guy came up to me that worked in a place called Hotel Cafe here, mm-hmm. and he showed me an email from 2011, the end of 2010, I think it was, when I played a show at Hotel Cafe opening for another Irish band called Bell X One, and he had like the pre-ticket sales. And I had sold nine tickets, <laughs> which was at the time I was like super excited about. Yeah. So six years later, slightly different. So that was really nice seeing that actually, because it sort of. And I remember on that trip actually going to watch Broken Social Scene play at the the Wiltern and thinking that this would be a place that I would love to play someday. So it's pretty special. That's awesome. And what was the uh, what was the crowd like? They were great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people always say that LA crowds can be tricky, but I've always yeah. had a good experience. That's good. Um, I think it's how I've come up. I think the fact that I've kind of gained fans, like I think that those nine people from the Hotel they were Cafe there are last there. night for in sure. Fact, one, of them, one of them came and talked. Seriously? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the girl that was with the guy was like, "Oh, I was at that show." So I think that most of that nine are there. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So I think that's why I've always had a good time. Is that people, people are there not because they're blow-ins. They just heard a song on the radio and they show up. They're there yeah. because they know the records really well. Yeah. yeah. You you kept those nine people for yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> And that was uh, the end of your U.S. tour, right? Yeah. Um, how has it been so far? But absolutely amazing. Again, yeah. yeah. The U.S. is like, I sort of describe it as like the great white whale of touring <laughs> for like most, especially European musicians. Like, it's always something that I've had aspirations for. But when you're bringing all these people all this way, it's tricky. Um, it can be a stressful experience. Yeah. But this is the first tour where it hasn't really been stressful because like, I mean, we're playing much bigger shows now and... I think the people in the room are just, it's just the, be- the crowd gets better and better every time we come here. Not in terms of just size, but also just the intensity of the crowd. So it's been easily the funnest experience we've had. That's awesome. In the last two months. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're from Ireland, but uh, you've obviously spent a lot of time here as yeah. well. Where do you spend the bulk of your time when you're not touring? Where are you? Uh, back in Dublin now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've been living in Dublin full time since like the end of 2015. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I like being around my family as much as possible, yeah. but um, because I never get to see them, and I'm bad, I don't, I'm not good with like staying in contact with people, mm-hmm. and like my phone is purely to 
Google stupid stuff. <laughs> it's not to like. I just don't like. I see everybody on tour with me, like all, all, all my the people that play with me and my crew, and we'll get off the bus on a day off, and they'll go and Skype people, and it never occurs. To That's me. not how you work. No, I'm, I'm bad. <laughs> um, so being at home is good at this point in my life, just because it means I get to see everybody when I'm there, and especially around Christmas time now, kind of hang out. Definitely, and yeah. you know, you've been out on the road promoting your third album, We Move, which came out in September. Yeah, it's been super well received here, and since we're Billboard, I'll spout some chart numbers at you. <laughs> it debuted at number eight on our Americana slash Folk Albums chart, and debuted in the top twenty of our Rock Albums, Independent Albums, and Alternative Albums chart. Um, the thing that stands out with saying that list is how many kind of genres it crosses. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's fitting for the album. Was that kind of, you know, your intention going in to not really be boxed into yeah. to a genre? Yeah, I've never been a big believer in, in genres and the idea of them and the idea that your career has to be defined by, by a tag or a label. I find that really tedious. Yeah, I'm sure. So, yeah, I think that, like, I didn't grow up listening to one particular type of music. Um, I know a lot of people say that, but it was very much true. Like, I just... The idea of being... Like a guy with a guitar your entire career, or a guy with a piano, or it just seems really like one dimensional. So, the fact that we live in a day and age now, I think that maybe when I made my first records and then my second one, I was probably like two years ahead of the acceptance curve. Where when I made my second record, there was a lot of like the people that listened to my first album, there was probably an amount of pushback where they were like, Why are you abandoning the things that we listen to you for? which I understand, but also is never something that I ascribed to. So mm. I don't necessarily understand on that level. Yeah. I understand their annoyance because people, some people like what they like. But I'm a musician. You know, my job is to, is to do the things that I hear in my head. And the thing I hear in my head tends to be relatively genreless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm a singer-songwriter, and whatever I choose to use beyond that is just it's whatever is, comes into my head. I don't feel like you necessarily like abandoned any sort no. of genre or so- sound even like you just brought those sounds into a new yeah. area. Yeah. Um, and that's really clear on your, your latest single get low, um, which has a lot of, you know, drum kind of hip hop elements and, but it's still kind of quiet and eerie. And how did the idea of that song kind of start? Well, I mean, it started here in, in Los Angeles. That song is specifically written kind of in and around my experience here in 2015 when I lived here for a while. Um, yeah, that song is probably the, the key song on the record in the sense that like I had a vision of what I wanted to achieve putting together like my love of simplistic, plain-spoken singer-songwriter music, but also like hip-hop, as you said, and more like R&B production. The idea of putting those two things together, I hear, you know, I think when people sort of like co-op sounds I can hear it and I hate it like I hate when I hear people that are like oh I'm going to use trap drums and you're like what right. does that even mean like you'd be, you're not, you know like I've never been to a trap house I'm not a trap <laughs> artist like it's ridiculous to think that I would co-opt I wanted to co-opt sounds that I understood and that were within the thing that I grew up on and be respectful to the sounds to yeah. not just like lazily co-opt this thing that somebody else worked really hard at so, like, I've always wanted to try and figure out how to use 808s in a song in a way that was, like, faithful to those sounds and also reflected what I love in those sounds, which is darkness and, and warmth, and then put it with guitars and, and like, a, a simple, straight verse-chorus, verse-chorus, bridge-chorus song. So <laughs> that, 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 re- that song was really when we did it. Myself in 85 kind of got that one. It was, like, a moment where, like, okay, this record will work because... It sounded natural. It didn't sound like we were just like lumping these two things together. Definitely. Yeah. And um, you know, speaking of the the song's hip hop elements, the first thing 
that comes to mind when you hear that title is Lil John. Yeah. <laughs> That's what came to my mind, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people Did that, that enter your mind at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love that song. Um, <laughs> the, the actual title of the song came from, there was a movie called starring Robert Duvall from, like, maybe seven or eight years ago called Get Low. Oh, okay. About this guy that plans his own funeral. Um, and it, uh, it's a really good movie. Like, Bill Murray's in it, too. And um, the idea of Get Low was to, to put yourself in the ground. That yeah. was what he was talking about. And I just always liked that saying. Yeah. I was obviously aware of it from the, the Bill John. <laughs> it's kind of nice that it works on two levels. It does work then. on two levels. <laughs> or multiple yeah, yeah. levels. Yeah. I feel like Lil John should do like a crunk remix of he the should, song yeah. or something. I love Lil John. Um, and you just put out a video for the song too, which is really moving. Um, you're not featured in the video, but can you talk a little bit about the, you know, where the concept came from and, and how it kind of relates to the song? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, the concept came from David Hellman, who directed. He's directed two videos off this album, uh, Rising Water and then this. And um, the idea was to. I mean, David. David had an idea that that I just. Reson- that resonated with me it wasn't that I came to him with a concept on Rising Water I did I had a very specific idea in mind and this one I was a bit looser with it and he just had this idea of this this kid that falls and and, and hits his head and then starts to have these sort of like visions of, of earthquakes as he's like walking around New York City with his friends and how that kind of relates to his interactions with people so that was like the premise of the video um, and it was very much David's premise. Okay. And I love it. I love the premise. I love the idea of it. And I love how he articulated it. It's beautiful. It's a very grainy video. He shot it on film in black and white. So um, it just captures New York really well as well. Because that was the thing. We tried to shoot it as faithfully in New York as we could rather than like pretending it was New York. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's the concept of that video. I feel like the way it kind of ends too, it just has a very kind of universal message about youth about just being mm. disappointed by things and expecting something and something else happens yeah. and yeah it's the reflect it's the sort of disillusionment of and the sort of idea of alienation and stuff like that embodied in this kid that's sort of having these visions while none of his friends are so yeah hmm. I, I would agree with that um and the first song you mentioned rising water i remember hearing that for the first time um on kcrw which yeah. i think you just visited with them didn't yeah, you two days ago yeah. um i should say the public Yesterday. radio station here in la for people who are not from la and um just love the the driving beat of it instantly and it kind of made me want to like run in place. <laughs> that was what I first thought. But um, why did you want that to be the introduction for people to the album? I think that it's I've I mean to be perfectly simple, but like I've always gone with the first song off each record as the introduction to each specific wor- specific work. That's interesting. Yeah, I think if if you think if you think the way I do about albums as a sequence and a, and I'm not like precious I'm not like a pre- I'm not like you need to listen to an album from start to finish <laughs> I know that people listen to records the same way I do which is like they pick and choose songs on Spotify or whatever medium right. they use and then they slowly hopefully hopefully digest the record so my idea of putting the first song out is is to sort of negate that is to be like this is the first song that I envisaged you hearing and I would like that to be the case. That's awesome. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that it's like the most reflective song of the record or, or the best, not even the best window into it. You know what I mean? Because that's the thing. With a song like that, with the career that I've had, there is a very real chance that you might kind of alienate some people if they hear it because people hear like superficial elements of songs and they might not hear the intent behind the song initially. Um, there's a song on the record called Lost Angles, which is the last song in the record, which I had thought of putting out first because it's a very simple piano and vocal um, and I love that song 
but um, I thought just rising water was the best thing to do at the time. I, yeah. I think it was the best. I thing. think it worked out. <laughs> um, and speaking of introductions, I feel like a lot of our listeners, even if they don't immediately know your name, might realize that they've heard something of yours at some point because you know you've been on this Kygo song, "I'm in Love." You your vocals are featured on Drake's "Views." Mm-hmm. Um, you did the cover of Chris Isaac's "Wicked Game" that ended up in the Game of Thrones trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that when you get approached by people, that it's for like a variety, like they've found you many different ways? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think that like the the two covers that I've ever recorded in my life have gone on to be quite well known <laughs> and quite ubiquitous, which which is something that like so. They, Wicked Game, obviously, and then my cover of Higher Love from a few years back mm. that was quite popular. Um, yeah, people, everybody comes at me for a different song or a different reason, and, and there's always a specific um, singular intensity behind everybody that talks about it. I'm sure it's, that's yeah, true. Which is lovely. I mean, yeah. and it's, I think the reason we can go and, and you know, fill the will turn here is the fact that there are all those different people with all those different reasons. Yeah. So, like, while I'm not a household name and never have been, it's never been an aspiration of mine, I think that over the course of three albums, all of these kind of circles in the Venn diagram have kind of started <laughs> to pop up, which means that slowly, 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 more people just automatically know this, the work um, and know one song or two songs, or even if they're, like, a passive fan, they'll know something and they'll care about it enough to come to a show or yeah. to come up to me in the street and talk to me about it, so... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different ways that roots that people have had into my career because I've never been a top 40 radio guy. So you kind of have to have those things. So I love that. I love yeah. that those are the reasons why people come to me. And it might encourage someone to dig deeper into your catalog yeah. once they find you. Absolutely. You know, well, it's organic. Way. It's not, I'm never, I've never forced anything on anybody in my life. I've never been, it's never been capable. I've never been, like, I've never had the, the budgets or the monies to, to throw myself at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> you know, it's always been, you come to me whenever you're ready, and I'm, 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 <laughs> I'll, I'll be I'll here. I'll be here, yeah. <laughs> um, how did that Drake feature come about? Was that something you'd already recorded that they used, or was it something that they came to you for? Yeah, so, I mean, the the this album was executive produced by, my well, my record was executive produced by myself and a producer called 1985, who, I guess... If anyone was to know who that was, he or they, if they don't, he is the guy that produced One Dance for Drake. And, yeah. um, People know that song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so while while I was working on my record with 85, he was also obviously working on Views. And on the back end of my record, he had come back to LA to kind of like wrap up their record, the Drake records. And he just called me one day and said that they, I, he had a folder of, of my work. And the nature of those guys is they're very sort of they're very open to stuff. While they keep it very insular, and this is my opinion of it from the outside and being kind of like just a passive bystander, um, is that they kind of keep it quite insular, but they're very open to ideas and different people's ideas. So I think that they had a they had a problem with a song, or they had there was just a gap in a song that they needed to be filled and they couldn't find it. And, and 85 just happened to have this folder of all my demos and ideas and it was a, it was just a, a piano and vocal thing that mm. I had sent him weeks before, and they just put it in and it worked. That's and, so crazy! Yeah, it's cool. So I mean, my 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 um, interaction on the record was completely like non-existent. Right. It was all based on '85 and his proactivity and him sort of wanting me to be part of it, which again I love. They could have easily gone another way and done a million things to put a vocal in there, but I think that we all. It's kind of silly, but like I mean, like I was hanging out with him last night, and we were like, we are family. Like we, 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 
are very close to all of us and, and uh, myself and Frank and Ben who worked on my record we took it very seriously and, and we look out for each other in yeah. a way to a degree so even though he's this monstrous super producer with you know billions and billions of sales and streams and he still looks out for me and I don't and I reciprocate as best I can whenever I can and so that's why that came out came to be that's amazing yeah. also very organic yeah so yeah <laughs> that seems to be the word um and with your uh, Wicked Game cover, you had actually recorded that song years and years ago, right? Yeah. And then how did that end up in the trailer? I don't know how it ended up in the trailer. I, like, I have some, some, I know some of the cast of, of Game of Thrones a little bit um, just over the years. They sh- it shoots in Ireland. So you just, That's right. Is it Belfast or is it all over? It shoots in Belfast. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, Northern Ireland. And then also in Croatia sometimes. But, like, they do m- the bulk of it up there. So they've been in Ireland for years now. And, and I just got to know a couple of them a little bit and yeah. you see them uh, from time to time they come to shows or whatever and I don't know if that's the reason why the music ended up I think I, that song was on the re-edition of my um, first record I believe Yeah, um, I, it's the live version from some show I did in Ireland in like 2011 so it, it had been sitting there if anyone wanted to find it I guess maybe one of them had just been to a show or someone that worked on the production team or something like that and heard it and they just hit me up and asked if they could use it. It was very, again, incredibly organic, mm-hmm. incredibly simple. Even at the time, I wasn't even, I was working on my record so deep and I was kind of so intensely into it that I didn't even resonate with me what was happening. <laughs> You're just, like, sure, use it, whatever. Actually, to be honest, initially I was, I didn't say yes um, <laughs> because I was focused on my record yeah. and there was some, there was some strange little issue, not caused by them, caused by just some publishing like snag somewhere, mm-hmm. which was making it a little difficult to, to sign off on it. So I was like, oh, we'll just leave it be. And then I kind of thought about it. I was like, actually, maybe this might be <laughs> helpful in some way yeah. to do. Um, and I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. So, uh, yeah, it was just an organic thing again. Just, yeah, just it tend, tends to be how these things happen for me. And um, you're actually heading back to Europe for a string of dates starting in January and going through March, right? Um, back yeah. home. So uh, I'm kind of wondering now that you've wrapped your headlining tour here, what are some of the major differences you find between those, the U.S. and the audiences at home? Uh, it's it 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 varies even from state to state here. Yeah. Like the states tend to be like their own little countries in terms <laughs> of when we play in our, in Europe every you know every couple of days it's a different country. Yeah. And that brings its own share of challenges because each crowd looks for a different thing. Each crowd can be a little European crowds tend to be a lot more subdued than okay. North American crowds is the main thing uh, like on the continent anyway. Um and in or so the European continent, um, they can be a bit more subdued, a little harder to read. Um, you know if you're doing a good job in North America because the crowd will let you know. Like yeah. Sometimes midway through a song, they'll let you know. <laughs> that um, probably has its good things and its bad things. I, I, what's great is that, like, because I mean, when I'm listening to myself when I'm performing, I'm on my inner ears, so like I'm very isolated from the crowd during the performance. Mm-hmm. Like, so like when I'm finished, they bring up microphones so I can hear the crowd, but I don't really hear them during it. So it means that if they do, they don't put me off. It's oh. fine. Um, <laughs> but there, there tends to be more of a, an outpouring of overt emotion in Europe or in, in America. Mm-hmm. They, We're excitable. They just, people just get, are, yeah, people are just very <laughs> excited to be yes. there and they want to let you know. And that's very different from Europe. Um, I, lo- I do, I love them both. I'm being very diplomatic here, but I do, I do love, the encouragement it's nice like yeah. it's like last night in the Wiltern 
there were just people in the front row, like, you know, like things like handing me letters and stuff like that. This girl handed me this really lovely letter at the start of the show, which I read last night, which was very sweet and very sincere and just wow. like, just nice. That doesn't happen as much in Europe as it's different. Um, and they're both, there's sort of two sides of the same coin, really, but I do like that aspect of it over here. Yeah. I think it's nice. And, um, you know, will you be working on new music as you continue the tour, or are you someone who's always working and writing? And Yeah. As yeah. soon as a record is out, I'm kind of not, I'm obviously not done with it. I'm just starting with it, but it's time to move to the next thing. Yeah. And I learn what I can from the things and the experiences, and then I take them into the next one. So I already very much have, like, the fourth record framed in my mind. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's, I mean, this one. It probably makes you want to go out and play it then when you go have a show, which (laughs) you can't do yet. (laughs) Yeah, there's a couple of songs that have have kind of come along on the last couple of weeks while we've been on the tour bus. So I'll go home and hit my studio when I'm back and see what happens. But um, best of intentions, sometimes I think about doing that and then I'll just probably just go and watch TV because I haven't done that in like six months. (laughs) So yeah, we'll see. The little things. Yeah. (laughs) And finally, I actually saw on Twitter when I was poking around before our interview that you're going to go see the Clippers play on Sunday. And so you're a big basketball fan, but you've never been to an NBA game before? No, I haven't. I've come very close over the years, but just never been able to kind of make my schedule work. So yeah. How did you get into basketball growing up? Is it, is it a big thing in Ireland watching NBA? Yeah. Well, Ireland doesn't have like, well, we have our own national sports. Like we have a sport called like GAA, Gaelic football and Hurley, which is a game you play with this, like a sort of a stick, like a hockey stick okay um, and they're huge but they're not there's nothing they're more like parish and town based there's they're not like proper proper franchise mm-hmm. sports so we'll irish people always look to other countries so like i'm a big like football fan like soccer so i follow arsenal and since i was a tiny child mm-hmm. in, in england and i've always just been a fan of other and i'm a sports guy so yeah. like any sports i can get my hands on so nfl and, and nba specifically because i just they're just good sports and like basketball is a great sport to watch yeah so yeah no i've always been a huge fan um it's gonna be cr- you're gonna be overwhelmed yeah. <laughs> i feel like because i feel like forward to it. i used i was a big college basketball fan growing up and then i went to my first nba game and it's just like the music never stops the lights never stop it's just like this you know onslaught the entire yeah. time i'm really excited to see it's it. super fun though yeah, i'm really excited to go Awesome. Well, James, thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us today. Um, And good luck with everything in 2017. Thank you. Thank you so much to James Vincent McMorrow. It was so lovely to meet him. And like I said, um, if you heard those little tidbits of songs in his interview and and are digging it at all, he's got tons of music to dig into. Um, and I think he's he's definitely worth a listen. Well, I think it was a good way for us to start off the year, you know, a new year and kind of a, a new artist that, you know, isn't totally brand new, but it's probably new to a lot of people. So we were super stoked that we could bring that interview to you guys um and now it is time for the chart stat of the week well since we didn't have a podcast the past few weeks we haven't had a moment actually to reflect on the passing of george michael who died on christmas so we thought we could remember him in an appropriate fashion at least for this show um, via the chart stat of the week because 29 years ago this week George Michael hit number one on the Billboard 200 albums chart with Faith. The album rose from number two to number one on the list dated January 16th 1988 
and would go on to spend a total of 12 non-consecutive weeks atop the list. Faith was Michael's first solo album after his breakthrough success in the duo Wham, of course. Faith would go on to become a huge success, selling more than 10 million copies in the United States, according to the Recording Industry Association of America. It features a whopping six top 10 singles on the Billboard Hot 100, including four that went to number one, and the album would later win the Grammy Award for Album of the Year. So, there you have it. 29 years ago this week, George Michael topped the Billboard 200 chart with Faith. Um, yeah, I mean, we did, we didn't talk about George Michael, unfortunately. Um, but I figured, you know, that this was a way to acknowledge, uh, the passing of George Michael. I'm, I, I, I don't like how every year seems to start now with the death of a pop superstar that I, uh, admire and love. (laughs) Um, I don't know about you, Katie, but, um, I was, uh, kind of floored when I heard the news on Christmas. Uh, were you, I'm assuming you were equally dumbfounded as well. Absolutely. I mean, just, I mean, he's so young, first of all. And then it's just like after Bowie and Prince last year, it just is another like mega icon that nobody expected to lose at this point at all. So um, I personally have been coping by listening to a ton of George Michael and Wham! since Christmas. um, And the catalog is just phenomenal. There's just so many great songs. Yeah. Um, I mean, and absolutely, truly, if all of our listeners who obviously are pop fans or, you know, just fans of the charts, Faith is just an immaculate, perfect pop album. Um, it is just one of the greatest pop albums of all time. You have to listen to it. It is just just a chock full of wonderful songs, just incredible melodies. It is so catchy and so good. And just, it's wonderful. So go check out the Faith album if you haven't yet. Um, and I think, I think we're at the end of the show, Katie. Uh, hopefully the audio sounds great. Uh, again, we're recording this in two different continents <laughs> with, with an incredible time difference. So we apologize if it sounds a little wonky, but we wanted to, uh, we wanted to uh, bring you the pop shop as best we could this week, even though I'm on another continent. Um, so Katie, do you have any parting words? Well, you know, Keith is truly paying tribute to George Michael by doing this show uh, live from London. So um, it's very (laughs) appropriate. And it feels like we should probably, at this point, go out on one of his songs. And the song that I've been jamming to the most has been um, Everything She Wants by Wham. It is such a jam. So I think that that would be a perfect, gleeful way to go out from the show. Well, uh, we will go out on Everything She Wants by Wham, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.